History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. spooktacular people welcome to this 434th episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is kelly kelly on this episode we are featuring a location that was suggested by our listener mary ann farley she's also an executive producer and that's the old hospital on college hill very cool looking forward to it that sounds like a pretty creepy place before we get into that we want to welcome into the spooktacular crew Micah, Allison with one L, and Savannah. Thank you for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by John Michaels. The Belgian Tunnel is a motorway tunnel in Switzerland that runs over 10,000 feet that links Eptigen with Hagendorf. The tunnel officially opened in 1966. For years, the Eptogen side of the tunnel has had rumors of a mysterious happening. A phantom hitchhiker walks the shoulder until a vehicle picks her up and then she disappears from the car when the car enters the Belgian tunnel. They call her Weissefrau, or the White Lady. She appears as an elderly woman, all dressed in white. The first paper to report about these sightings was Blick on January 6, 1981. The police started lodging dozens of calls reporting the mysterious woman. The most popular shared experience occurred on September 26, 1983. The white lady was picked up by two female jurists in Eptogen. They described her as being middle-aged and pale. The two women said that they inquired if she was ill, and she said that she was, and then told them something terrible was going to happen. One of the women spun around to ask more about the revelation, and she discovered that the white lady had disappeared. We're not sure if something dreadful did happen later. Was she remembering her passing, perhaps? Did it happen in the tunnel? Whatever the case may be, the White Lady of the Belgian Tunnel certainly is odd. Hello, all you spooktacular people of the History Ghost Bump podcast. I'm Mrs. Grimley, the ghostly librarian at the Cemetery Hills Library. I'm here with a huge invitation for you to listen to Afterwards Paranormal Podcast. Our podcast is all about stories. What kind of stories? Creepy stories. Unsettling stories. Eerie stories. Stories and experiences from literature and our listeners. So hop on over to Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher and listen to a story that comes from the depths of the dark. 
And now, this month in history. In the month of May, on the 12th in 1907, Catherine Hepburn was born. Hepburn was born and raised in New England and was brought up to be an independent thinker. And in the world of old Hollywood, she certainly was that. She broke the rules about glamour, rarely wearing makeup and sporting trousers. She was outspoken and strong-willed. Her acting career spanned 60 years and garnered her 12 Best Actress Oscar nominations, a record not broken until 2003, when Meryl Streep received her 13th nomination. Hepburn won three of those Oscars for the films Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in 1967, A Lion in Winter in 1968, and On Golden Pond in 1981. She didn't pick up any of the awards in person. Many thought of her as arrogant and self-absorbed because she refused to grant interviews, sign autographs, or pose for pictures. Hepburn carried on a love affair with Spencer Tracy for 27 years. He refused to divorce his wife because he was Catholic, yet Hepburn and Tracy lived together for years before his death. They made nine movies together. She only discussed the relationship after Tracy's widow died. Me, Stories of My Life was her candid autobiography that was published in 1991. Her last acting gig was in 1994. She died in 2003 at the age of 96. The Williamson Memorial Hospital was named for the town of Williamson in West Virginia. Most people know this location as the old hospital on College Hill. People were born here and they died here, and remnants from the past are everywhere inside the dilapidated buildings. The property is set deep in the mystical West Virginian Appalachian Mountains overlooking the town. Entities of all sorts have been experienced here. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the old hospital on College Hill. Williamson is the county seat of Mingo County in West Virginia. The town sits along the Tug Fork River and was named for the man who originally owned the plot, Wallace J. Williamson. He founded the first bank and first hotel here. The town was incorporated in 1892 and began to grow with the founding of the rail yard here, which was built by the Norfolk and Western Railroad. This railroad would provide a means for transporting the coal that was pulled out of nearby coal mines. Coal mining is still one of the main industries of Williamson. The town is also the scene of the Hatfield-McCoy Marathon every June. Hey, Kelly, I think we should go run it, don't you? What do you do? Run through the marathon anymore. with guns and shoot at everybody as you go along? Possibly. Shake your fist and yell bastard? <laughs> Alrighty then. The Hatfield-McCoy Reunion Festival takes place at the same time. And that is because Williamson is involved in that feud, which took place along the Tug Fork River. The McCoy family came from the Kentucky side of the dispute while the Hatfields were from West Virginia. These families descended from Joseph Hatfield and William McCoy. The feud began with the Civil War, even though both families mainly fought for the Confederacy, except for Asa McCoy. When he was returning home after being wounded, he was ambushed and killed by Confederate guerrillas led by Jim Vance, who was an uncle to Anse Hatfield. 
the leader of the Hatfield family at the time. Thirteen years later, land disputes started between the families. They also fought over moonshine territory. Several family members were killed on each side. Many times these altercations left behind bullet-riddled bodies. The feud reached its peak with the New Year Massacre in 1888. Things finally settled down in 1901. There are ghosts connected to this feud. The Hatfield Cemetery in Sarah Ann, West Virginia is about 30 minutes from Williamson. Devil Ants Hatfield and his sons are buried here and their spirits are said to still be sticking around. On foggy nights, their spirits are said to rise from their graves and make their way down the mountain toward Island Creek, which is at the bottom. William Garrett was a well-known mountain preacher, and he baptized the Hatfields in this very creek in 1911. I guess it took all their sins away. It said their spirits are heading to the creek to reenact their baptisms. Then they fade away. The Dill Cemetery is on the Kentucky side of the feud and was the first racially integrated cemetery in eastern Kentucky. Randolph McCoy is buried here. He was the head of the family, along with his wife and a couple of their children. Shadow figures have been seen traveling between headstones and trees there. A hospital was built in downtown Williamson in 1918, but that structure burned down in the winter of 1926. No one died in the fire, thankfully. A woman, Mrs. Leonard Chafin, on the third floor, threw her newborn out of a window and a man on the street named Raymond Edwards caught the baby. A doctor and several nurses jumped to safety on a pile of mattresses. A new hospital, which would eventually be known as the Old Hospital on College Hill, opened March 3, 1928 at 728 Mulberry Street. Unlike the former hospital, this one was state-of-the-art and had 75 beds and 32 private patient rooms. The business owners of Williamson were the ones to fund the construction through the purchasing of bonds, and the hospital had paid those bonds off by 1939. The hospital was four stories with a basement. The fourth floor had the pharmacy. The third floor had medical and surgical rooms. The second floor had the maternity ward. The first floor featured the ICU, and the basement had a cafeteria, lab, radiology department, and emergency room. And there were incinerators located here as well for dispatching of bodies and body parts from amputations. In 2020, ashes left from that were still in the building. Yeah, I watched an episode of Destination Fear, and um, yeah, they had that on camera. There was still a bunch of ashes in there. Yeah, it was pretty shocking to see. Yeah. I mean, maybe they were burning up a bunch of something else in there, but I doubt it. You know, these places get abandoned and they leave behind equipment and paperwork, but you certainly don't think you're going to have that kind of stuff left behind. True. I guess it'd be as bad as going down to the morgue and going, oops, they forgot to clean these out too. Oh, God. (laughs) Eventually, it was more practical for the emergency room to move to the street level, and this place saw a lot of action. There were nearby coal mining operations, and accidents occurred occasionally. One of those accidents from the Williamson coal field took place at the Cinderella Mine owned by the Sycamore Coal Company. And when I was reading the history of the Cinderella Mine, there was a comment on there about what men would name their mine Cinderella. But I was like, well, it was like, maybe, you know, your dreams come true. It could have. Well, it should have been. Cinderfella. Yeah, that would have worked. Like the Jerry Lewis movie. <laughs> lady! Lady! This mine opened in March of 1911 and became one of the largest mine operations. On June 30th, 1914, a mine fire at Cinderella suffocated five miners to death. These were George Seabold, James Collins, Benjamin James, Henry Lyons, and Marion Lyons. Twenty other men made it to the surface. Rescuers worked feverishly for hours digging a rescue shaft, but unfortunately... 
it didn't work out for anybody there that was down there because they were suffocated quite quickly. An explosion at Burning Springs Mine in 1951 killed 11 miners. The Norfolk and Western Railway was headquartered in Roanoke, Virginia, and started in 1838. The coal train was nicknamed King Coal. But it wasn't just coal that was carried on the trains. There were passenger trains as well. Four passenger trains in each direction stopped at Williamson Station every day in 1957. The last passenger trains left Williamson in 1971. On January 23, 1956, a Norfolk and Western passenger train named the Pocahontas derailed and crashed in southeastern Mingo County. The engineer was killed, nine passengers were hospitalized, and 14 others were injured with more minor issues. Those 23 individuals who were hurt in the crash were brought to Williamson Memorial Hospital. And violent injuries from the Mattawin Massacre were brought to Williamson Memorial on May 19, 1920. The miners working under the Stone Mountain Coal Company tried to organize, and the company hired enforcers from the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency to evict miners and their families. A gunfight followed some of the evictions, and which side fired first is not known. What is known is that the sheriff, Sid Hatfield, shot lead detective Albert Feltz. This was after Mayor Cabell Testerman was wounded by either Feltz or Hatfield. No one knows the answer to that either. But Hatfield did marry Testerman's widow 12 days after Testerman died. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Let me think about the facts here. And the day before that marriage, so that would have been 11 days after he died, they were caught in a hotel room and charged with improper relations. And I'm sure they weren't sharing a tea party or something. (laughs) Scandalous. So I think the sheriff took advantage of the situation and took out the mayor. Anyway. The gunfight continued between miners and detectives. Seven of the detectives were killed and two miners were killed. Many others were wounded. Fun fact, a Dr. Salton had a horse that he really loved and it became sick and needed emergency surgery. He brought it to the hospital, walked it in, and loaded it into the elevator. They then went up to the fourth floor. Staff on the third floor heard the clopping of horse hooves and thought they were hearing something quite strange but later discovered that there was indeed a horse up on the fourth floor undergoing surgery. We're not sure how the horse fared. Yeah, I hope it went well since he went to all the trouble to bring it there. (laughs) I guess if you don't have a veterinarian hospital nearby. Well, yeah. I'm just surprised they were able to get it into the elevator. Strangest thing I ever did with one of my horses was ride through a Carl's Jr. (laughs) drive-thru for lunch. (laughs) You know what's funny about that? is Melissa Potter, one of our listeners had posted on Facebook where she lives in Texas that there was somebody on a horse going through a drive-thru. I think it was a Starbucks. Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw it. (laughs) I was like, only in Texas. It's kind of like us posting pictures of an alligator walking down our street. Only in Florida. (laughs) Well, Texas and California, apparently. Oh, that's true. (laughs) That's true. I guess in California, you'll go through a drive-thru on a horse. I mean, we were young adults. We used to ride through there all the time. In 1979, the facility was sold to Hospital Management's Association, Inc., and continued to operate until 1988. Then it was closed after 60 years of service because a more modern facility was opened up down the street. The building was converted to physician offices and was used for that purpose until 2014. Then the hospital was used for storage. As nature began to take back the building, wrapping it with vines and the infrastructure began to crumble, the building took on a really creepy mystique. Rumors of hauntings had plagued it through the years, so it seemed fitting that it was decided to host paranormal tours during the Halloween season. 
Williamson Memorial Hospital partnered with the Tug Valley Area CVB to conduct those tours in 2018 and 2019. There was a real treat for tourists after several of the tours in 2019 when actor Tony Moran, who played the original Michael Myers in John Carpenter's 1978 film Halloween, was there to greet them. Thousands came out for the tours. I would have loved to be there. I know, that would have been so cool. Jared would have died. (laughs) (laughs) And it's at a really cool location, which I believe Jerry from Hillbilly Horror Stories is going to be doing a live show from there later this year. Very cool. He did invite us, but I told him, ah, doing that 13-hour drive like we did the one time to West Virginia was a bit much. It's rough. Yeah. Yeah. If we had more time to take off, it would make it doable. But (laughs) if we could get to where we're doing full time and you didn't have to work for Wyndham anymore, we wouldn't have to worry about time off and all that good stuff. In November 2020, the facility was purchased by Tanya Webb, a Mingo County Chief Probation Officer, and businesswoman Sabrina Hatfield. Hatfield unfortunately died on February 28, 2021, from cancer. Her husband, Charlie Hatfield, was the mayor of Williamson. Webb has been nicknamed the Queen of Halloween in the town. That's a great title. It is a great title. (laughs) And how fitting for her to have a haunted location now. She was born at the hospital, and two of her grandparents died there. Their goal is to restore the buildings and make this a tourist destination. In 2021, the facility was reopened to the public as a host to both paranormal and historic tour opportunities. There is much unexplained activity reported here. Yeah, and Charlie Hatfield, the mayor of Williamson, also was born at this hospital. When they were interviewing him, he had said that. And the only reason I'd found out that Sabrina had passed away, I was watching another video. We'll be talking about this paranormal group in a minute. And they'd made a video and they dedicated it to her at the beginning. And I went, wait a minute, because I'd literally just read the article of when she and Tanya bought it. And I was like, whoa, then she didn't own it for very long. But it was a very sudden diagnosis of cancer. And it was, I can't remember what kind, but it was already really advanced, very aggressive. I mean, she was like, boom, she said she wanted to take, she'd always want to take a trip to Florida and who wouldn't. And so they, (laughs) Tanya and uh, Charlie and her family brought her down here and they, I think they hung out down here for a week and then they were headed back to West Virginia, driving back up and they got as far as Georgia and she just was really not feeling well. And they took her to the hospital there and she passed away. Wow. Very sad. Residents of Williamson have often seen lights turning on and off in the building when it is empty. They also claim to see people staring out of the windows and shadow figures pass by those windows. The Williamson Police Department has been called out repeatedly when the building was abandoned, and they'd never find anyone inside and no signs of a break-in. The apparition of a female spirit has been seen floating in the basement between the two x-ray rooms at the end of the hall, and an EVP was captured down there in 2018 saying, Help me. An employee was down in the basement. She looked over her left shoulder and saw a face sticking out of the wall. Huh. And as she was telling the story, she started crying. Oh. And she uh, she looked to be about a woman in her late 50s, early 60s, so it really must have scared her. She hasn't returned to the basement since and says she won't return. Others claim to have seen this face in the wall as well. It's one of the most prominent hauntings I have there. Really? It's very unique. Yeah, and I I don't know if it's like, you know, the head like sticks out of the wall, if it's just a face they see all of a sudden projecting on the wall. I'm not exactly sure. It hasn't been described. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. (laughs) 
The mayor, Charlie Hatfield, had been on the property many times with his wife, and he experienced some unexplained stuff. He was working by himself on a window when he clearly heard voices. Charlie looked around, and no one was near him. On another occasion, he and a friend named Wes were working on a window in the basement, and they heard a door close abruptly. There was no breeze or wind, so they couldn't explain how that happened. They left quickly. Tanya Webb was checking the building one night after an investigation, and she heard a male voice say, Hey! loudly. It startled her and was so clear that she went looking for the person. She was alone in the building. The apparition of a nurse has been seen as though she's still doing her rounds, and it's thought that she is a nurse who died in the hospital either during one of her shifts or in the operating room on the fourth floor after being involved in a car accident on her way to work. Before the hospital closed, a woman had a run-in with this nurse. She'd just given birth and was resting in a room, looking forward to seeing her baby. A nurse came in and told her she could go home and that she wouldn't be able to see her baby until the next day. So the woman dressed and headed for the door when another nurse ran up to her and asked where she was going. She responded, the nurse told me to leave. This nurse looked at her strangely and said, what nurse? I'm the only nurse on the floor today. Oh my goodness, was a ghost going to kidnap the baby? I don't know, but can <laughs> you imagine? Bizarre. I mean, that's not only... Those ones always blow my mind because it's not only intelligent, it's having a conversation with you, but it's so real that you believe that that's really a nurse. Exactly. And that the spirit is aware of what's going on. You just had a baby, but you need to go home. Yeah, completely corporal. For years, doctors and nurses reported seeing this ghostly nurse. A contractor saw her on the fourth floor when he was doing renovations. He claimed to see her glide down the corridor. He ran after her to find out who she was, and she just disappeared. There were no exit doors she could have gone out. He refused to return to the fourth floor. This nurse has been photographed. One of the pictures was taken by a woman named Sheena Daniels on one of the tours on Halloween night in 2018. And uh, we'll share that picture up on Instagram so everybody can see it. It is pretty striking. It looks pretty real. Many ghost stories originate from the time when this was a working hospital. But even more came out starting in 2018 when paranormal tours started. During one of those tours, the elevator did something strange. This elevator is the oldest in operation in Mingo County. Visitors were transported to floors that were open for the tour. A couple of the floors were locked and were not to be accessed. The elevator stopped on those locked floors without the button being pushed. There was no one on those floors to call the elevator, and again, they were locked. The elevator has windows, and these closed floors should have been dark. But the lights were on, and some people saw shadow figures. One tour guide got ill while giving tours, many days in a row, whenever they entered the left x-ray room. The flashlight batteries would die in this room as well. A medium later informed the crew that the spirit of a man was behind the x-ray control panel and didn't want anyone in that room. Many believe that it's his face that people see in the wall, and he definitely gives off an unfriendly vibe. There are moans heard on the third floor and a shadow figure. Many people believe this is the spirit of Mose Blackburn. The story behind this starts in the wee hours of the morning on Saturday, July 21st, 1962. Mose and Aura Blackburn owned a restaurant on Pike Street, and they got in a domestic dispute there. The police were called, and the first to arrive were Lieutenant Garnet Richmond and Patrolman Howard Hatfield. Lots of Hatfields in this town. Certainly are. As we all know, these kinds of calls are the worst for police. They found the couple sitting in two separate cars outside of the restaurant, so they approached the vehicles to find out what happened. They both headed towards the vehicle holding Moe's Blackburn first. They had no idea that Moe's had a twenty-two pistol sitting in his lap. 
Mose picked up his gun and aimed it at his windshield and pulled the trigger. The bullet hit Lieutenant Richmond below the left eye. Hatfield dove to the ground and called for backup. He then exchanged fire with Blackburn and around 20 bullets were fired in the gun battle. Mose was struck once in the arm. He was subdued after more officers showed up. Both Richmond and Blackburn were taken to Williamson Memorial Hospital, but the officer was declared dead when he got there. Blackburn was treated for his gunshot wound and spent several days in the hospital under armed guard. He was a cop killer and his arraignment would be in a week. Lieutenant Richmond had been a veteran of World War II and he left behind a pregnant wife, two daughters, and a stepdaughter. The two deputies who took turns watching him were Enoch Fillinger and Maury Blair. On the evening of July 29th, Mose complained about being thirsty and Deputy Fillinger went to the nurse's station to get him some water. Once he left his sentry, the story goes that Mose took off running down the third floor hall towards a window and he leapt out that window. The fall didn't kill him, but it broke him up pretty badly. Mose broke his femur, fractured his mandible, and had multiple contusions. He eventually died on August 24, 1962. His death certificate lists empyema as the cause of death. This is a malady where... Oh, God. (laughs) This is a malady where pus builds up in the area between the lungs and inner chest wall. Mose had this condition due to a fractured rib from his fall. Mose was buried in Davis Memorial Gardens in Stone, Kentucky. Many wonder if Mose did indeed jump out that window of his own accord. Could he have been pushed? The police surely would have wanted retaliation for losing one of their own. But he didn't jump out of the window in his room. So it's possible a nurse or another patient would have seen him being thrown out the window by someone else. I mean, you'd think there'd be some kind of a witness. Right. But this also begs the question, why would he run down the hall to jump out a window when he had one in his room? Wouldn't you just go out the one that's closest to you? I don't know. If the other guard was right there, maybe he figured he'd get grabbed. Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking that the guards took turns, so he didn't have anybody guarding him when the guard went to go get him some water. And that's why he took off. Possibly. The only other thing I could think, maybe he thought he was running for his escape. Maybe he didn't know he was on the third floor. It's a long way down. That could be. Mose had told his nurses that he was afraid for his life and that he was having horrible nightmares. Was he being haunted by his victim? Was he just afraid of facing the electric chair? What made him run in terror out of a window? Destination Fear was the first investigative team allowed to overnight at the old hospital. They did this in 2020. Their visit was fairly uneventful. There were strange sounds heard on each floor as each member spent an hour alone in the building. Dakota and his sister Chelsea were awakened from sleep by the sound of broken glass. And Dakota did find broken glass on the floor in one of the rooms. The ovalist did give the word malevolent once, too. Many people believe that something dark is in the building. Was this the entity letting itself be known? It certainly had no interest in talking to the group. The only EVP picked up seemed to be an angry, growling type of voice. So we had a listener who said you definitely should check out Destination Fear. They enjoy it and stuff. And I like the group. I think they're pretty honest. I don't think they make stuff up. Because a lot of the shows that I've watched, they haven't gotten like overwhelming evidence where it's like, oh my gosh, that's just amazing. Seems much more realistic. And they're very much like you and I, kind of doing it on the cheap. I mean, they <laughs> they have a lot of camera equipment. I think that's where they put all their investment because each of them usually sets up a static camera and then they have a handheld too. Right. But as for equipment, I've seen a REM pod a couple of times. The Ovilus they use a lot and a recorder. 
I mean, they really don't take a whole lot of stuff in there with them. That's this high tech equipment. So I think they do a lot of it. I think that's why it's called destination fear. A lot of it's just he's studying fear. They're just trying to figure out fear and where that comes from and how it works and everything, which for us is kind of strange because so far we haven't really been afraid going into any place. No. And even the experiences that they've had, I wouldn't have been too afraid. I mean, hearing the broken glass would have worried me a bit, but I first initially would have been like, who's broken into the building? Right. I mean, if we were going into an unknown location, it's, you know, completely closed off, dark, decrepit, and we were each by ourselves, I could see where that would supply a certain amount of fear. I guess that's kind of been that situation. I I shouldn't (laughs) jump to saying that because I don't think we've ever done where we've been all by ourselves in a, a place. Spectral Research and Investigation Team, or SRI, visited and they spent much of their time trying to communicate with Moe's. They got some interaction using the obelisk, and here's how they described it. Communication was brief and abruptly stopped after only a short time, but not before we were able to establish that Moe's seemed to feel at least some level of remorse for what he had done, but also felt that he was a victim too. Paranormal Quest investigated the hospital in the spring of 2021, and on the Moe's floor, one of the investigators felt something pass by him several times. Several pieces of equipment were activated in the hallway that was Moses' route to the window as well. And those were, I think they were all REM pods. One cool thing that they rigged up, Kelly, was a REM pod that they attached to an IV rack. And I don't know exactly how they did it, but they had like a wire that was going up the metal part of it. Mm -hmm. So that if anything touched the IV rack, it sent the REM pod off. Interesting. So it wasn't like the REM pod needed to be touched. It was what it was connected to that needed to be. Right. And I was like... If we ever get a hold of a REM pod, we need to try that <laughs> experiment because I thought that was really cool. I agree. And indeed, several times the REM pod would go off. So it was like something was grabbing that IV rack. Was it a nurse who was on duty using it? Was it a patient who thought it was his? I don't know. And it, w- it went off for a pretty lengthy period of time. I really enjoyed these guys' videos. Paranormal Quest, they have their own channel up on YouTube. I do have a link in the show notes to this particular video, but... They do a really good quality job. I really enjoyed their stuff. And they seem to be, uh, you know, they're not aggressive or anything in their investigative. Yeah, respectful stuff. Yeah. The old hospital was no stranger to birth and death. Does the afterlife have a place here, too? Is the old hospital on College Hill haunted? That That is for you to decide. decide. Well, we did have a chance to go check it out later on this year, but we said no. (laughs) But eventually it'd be cool to check out. Yeah, I would like to get there one day. It's just a matter of we already have some things on the book that, yep. you know, we can only do so much. Yep. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Kelly, the listeners are probably aware that our paranormal conversations that we dropped this last week was with Brian J. Corey of the Necronomicast. And I put up on Instagram a little picture with these words. Had a great interview last night. We talked a bit about psychical connections and synchronicity. Have you had those kinds of experiences? And we had a couple of people respond to that. Corey in verse said, I have experiences a lot where I'm talking about a certain person or even a subject and either that person will just appear out of nowhere or whatever I was talking about will somehow manifest into an item or a story or something. I notice out of the corner of my eye or ear. And I was like, that's totally what we were talking about in that interview. Yep. And Hey Meg Han said, I have a connection like that with my mom. We can tell when the other's thinking or talking about us. There have been many times in my adult life where I was sad and thinking about talking to her and she'll call me out of the blue saying she had this urge to call me ASAP. 
Aww. And, you know, we were saying things like, it's kind of like when you're thinking about a particular song and you turn on the radio and that song is on. Yep. It's just weird how that works. I know. That was one of the things we were talking about. So check out that interview. We'd love to have you give us some of your comments on that too, what your thoughts on that would be. I know we know in the Spooktacular crew, synchronicity is like crazy in there. Lots and lots of stories about that. Not a coincidence. No. Synchronistic. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to thank Shelly Labute for raising her donation. She is now going to be moved into a chest tomb. This is the third time she's been moved in a couple of months. So Mort's probably like, stay put. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he ever feels that way. He's always excited to have something else to do. (laughs) Some work, that's for sure. And also, welcome to the cemetery, Hannah Salinas. We're going to be putting you in a chest tomb. And Savannah Marchione, I hope I said that right, or is it Marchione? We're going to be burying you under an obelisk tombstone. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. We really could not produce this show without our executive producers. And, you know, if you don't have the ability to financially support, please share the show. You know, if you find somebody that you know that is like-minded, that is interested in weird stuff, (laughs) pass along the information. That really helps us grow as well. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. She was outspoken, outspoken. <laughs> I almost spit my soda water out. <laughs> Would have been all over my computer. Oops. Yes, Kelly, we're going to talk about the Belchin Tunnel, which has nothing to do with belching. Well, you know a thing or two about belching. I have never burped ever in my life. <laughs> Better the attic than the basement. As you like and to darling, say. darling... <laughs> You let out some explosive belches. They are impressive. (laughs) You won't see me in a white dress anyway. I don't wear no dresses. (laughs) That's true. And Kelly, while we were looking up to see how that was said, there's a little thing here that says that that, of course, means white ladies in German. The association with the color white and their appearance in sunlight is thought by Jacob Grimm to stem from the original Old Norse and Teutonic mythology of elves, specifically the bright, and I don't know how to say this, it's LJ together, Osalfar. They were light elves. Interesting. Yeah. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 434 episode. 34? 34. It's 34. 3073. Chevy three. <laughs> <laughs> the town sits along the Tuck Fork River. Tuck Fork? Whatever. Is it Friar Tuck's Fork? It's Friar Is Tuck's Fork. Is it the fork, fork that he uses to eat and... Yes, <laughs> Kelly. No, Friar Tuck uses spoons. Spoons only. Not a sport?
<laughs> this railroad would provide. Ours. They're just such trouble. R's, S's, W's. We just shouldn't <laughs> Any talk. Any combination. <laughs> this railroad would... Pro- <laughs> it's a wascally wabbit. Pa-pa-pa. The feud reached its peak with the New Year massacre. Massacre. It was a massacre. <laughs> How sad. I'm like, oh, it's a massacre. <laughs> Did it cure something? <laughs> I don't think it cured anything other than life. So it seemed fitting that it was decided to post... To post? They're, they're going to post the host. <laughs> or host the post. Serial. Something. <laughs> a meteor? Meteor? A meteor? <laughs> I didn't know meteors could talk. Or were you, a meteor hit the building and that was it. You can't, you can't visit it anymore. It's done. Sorry, I don't even know why we're telling you about it. Blackburn was treated for his gunshot. <laughs> 